Now, I, um, I, I work part-time for Calvary Cambridge, but I also work part-time in a secondary school. I'm a science teacher, uh, and you can probably understand, working in a school right now, there are lots of things that are happening that are obviously also happening across uh, the world. So it's interesting the stage that we're all at in Britain. Um, and this morning, we're carrying on your series in Second Chronicles. And we're reading from Chronicles 17 all the way through to 2 Chronicles 19. So there's a, there's a hefty chunk of scripture we're going to go through, but we're going to break it down into five sections. So let's get started. Um, so often, as humans, we are defined by the choices of those who go before us. So often, as our destinies are determined by the decisions that our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents have made before us. And we're looking at King Jehoshaphat this morning, and he had an interesting legacy to follow on from. Last week, you looked at King Asa, his father, and he was a king that began well. He was full of faith. He was full of zeal for the word of God, and he sought to remove idol worship from the nation of Judah. He even led an army that conquered the greatest of armies. He himself never worshipped idols, and yet he compromised by forming an alliance with a foreign king, at which point he decided to no longer lean upon and rely upon God. And in the end of his life, he he disregarded God. He began as a faithful man, a powerful king, and yet he had a feeble end. Uh, So this morning... And we're looking at the next king in the line, King Jehoshaphat, the son of King Asa. And we're going to look at what his legacy will be. So if you are able, can you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word? We're going to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 17, if you'd like to stand, please. We're going to read the first four verses. Then Jehoshaphat, his son reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa his father had taken. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the Acts of Israel. Father, we just pray this morning as we look into your word that you would open our hearts, Lord, soften our hearts. God, I'm aware there's so much distraction even within us, Lord, today. Lord, I pray that you would remove that this morning. Let us hear only from your word. Let us hear only from you. I pray your spirit would, would teach us and guide us through this text. And we pray this all in the matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please take a seat. So we read in the first couple of verses of chapter 17 that as his father before him, Jehoshaphat chose, he decided to make a stand. He he started well in his reign. And he was doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Step one in his reign was this. He strengthened himself against the kingdoms of Israel. He was making a personal decision to have nothing 
to do with them, to have nothing to do with those who practiced the worship of foreign gods. In so doing, he separated himself so that he could not be influenced by other people. Step two in his early reign was this. He went on to strengthen his own nation, fortifying the cities, adding troops to guard them. And the order here is very important. If we want to impact those that we have any influence over, we must be the ones to first make a change. Do you agree? We must be the ones to set the example. In verses 3 and 4, it says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David, and he did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments, and not according to the acts of Israel. You see, God was with Jehoshaphat because of the private and public decisions that Jehoshaphat had made. He chose to seek God. He chose to walk in God's commands. He chose to walk and follow in the footsteps of a good man, King David, in the early years of his life, who we know it was a man after God's own heart. And he chose not to seek the Baals, the foreign gods. You see, the key to his early success, the key to his early success is very clear. He chose to set the example. He set the tone for the whole nation. He sought the Lord his God. And Jehoshaphat was not just a hearer or a reader of the word of God. He was also a doer of the word of God. He took proactive steps to pursue him. Often in our lives, I'm sure this is the same for you here in Norwich, we have a very deep desire to have an impact on the communities around us. And yet so often we forget that first we need to check ourselves. We need to make sure that we are seeking God and then we go out, first taking care of what God is doing within ourselves. Read it on in verse 5, it says, Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. Notice who it was who brought about the building up of the kingdom. It was not by human effort. It was not by human endeavor. It was not skill. It was not natural ability or perseverance. It was God. We read in the Psalms, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. In our ministries, and we're all ministers, both privately in our homes and with our families and at work, and our corporate ministry as a church and to the wider body of Christ, It must involve God, must it not? It must have God at the forefront of all that we do. Otherwise, why are we doing what we do? You see, at Calvary Cambridge, uh, in the past six months, we've joined the Calvary Chapel Club of getting a building for nothing. So we've, we've now, in the past six months, October was our first service in our new building, 
uh, and we don't have to pay a penny. It's got a room for 120 people. We're a fellowship of 60 people. All we have to do each year is pay 100 pounds to the council. How amazing is that? But it wasn't human endeavor, ever. It wasn't human endeavor. It, it was, someone asked me earlier, how did it happen? I said, it was just God. There were so many instances that led up to it, divine orchestration of, of people meeting people and talking about Calvary, Cambridge, about us using it for Baptist, baptism service because we didn't want to go down to the river anymore. And all these different things that led to God blessing us with a building. And it's just a fantastic example of how God works in your life when you let him take over, when you let him be the one that leads, when you let him be the one that guides you. And Jehoshaphat, in that same way, walked with God. And he was blessed. And it wasn't just that he was blessed, but everyone else around him was blessed also. In verse 7 it says, Also, in the third year, so I missed verse 6, And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judah. We also read in the Psalms, Psalm 37, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he, he shall give you the desires of your heart. You see, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, our hearts will be aligned with God's hearts. And in that same way, our desires will be aligned with God's desires. And if you think about the nation of Judah, what would God's desire have been for them? Would it not have been purification? Would it not have been cleansing? Would it not have been holiness? All of the things that the Jehoshaphat sought to pursue in the nation. And as we read on this morning, please just look at what happens to a nation when one man, one man in a position of responsibility sets his heart wholly upon pursuing God. As we read through this morning, just imagine the impact that we could all have on those around us if our hearts were completely set on delighting ourselves in God. So Jehoshaphat, what did he do? Verse 7, also in the third year of his reign, he sent his leaders, ben Hiel, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nephanel, and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nephaniah, Zebediah, Ashael, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tabanijah, the Levites. And with them, Elishama and Jehoram, the priests. I find if you say the names faster, it gets easier. So, notice, please, that Jehoshaphat did not just tear down. He did not just tear down and remove the idols and the places of the idol worship. He began a spiritual rebuilding project. And the foundation of his rebuilding project is the most important thing. It's the word of God. What he did is he sent out his leaders and he sent out his priests with one purpose, and that was to teach the word of God to all people. He sought to replace the lies of the enemy with the truth that's only found in the Holy Scriptures. His desires was to bring a nation back under the word of God. And this outlines a wonderful spiritual principle for each one of us. Whenever there is a putting off, there must also be a putting on. 
if there is a breaking down, there must also be a building up. And we, we, we read this in Romans chapter 13 uh, and in other places as well. But Paul here, from verse 11 of Romans 13, says, And through this, knowing the time, that now is, is high time to wake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I can say amen to that today. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let's, not, and, sorry, and let's put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You see, with every building project, there's a knocking down, but there's a building up. And what Jehoshaphat was doing was he was making sure that the foundation of the building was the Word of God. And there's a very clear distinction here in Romans of putting off, casting off, removing, but not just remaining that position, but actually putting something on instead. We read as well in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have also put on Christ. You see, putting on Jesus requires effort. When we were called to be disciples, that means that we were to be under the discipline of Jesus Christ. And it's not easy. It's difficult. Putting on Jesus requires effort. It requires personal choice. It requires daily decisions. And it requires us to be willing to identify with Jesus Christ. Friday was a non-uniform day at school. And it's very interesting when you have a non-uniform day, you get to read into a little bit about a child and their background perhaps or what they want to tell the world through the clothes they're wearing because they've made a decision that day to put on specific clothes. They've made a decision that day to identify with something. One girl was wandering around in an ACDC uh, t-shirt and a black leggings and all dolled up for the day because that's what she wanted to identify with that day. In the same way, we must each and every day decide to identify with Jesus. We must decide to put on Jesus. And that takes effort. It requires a discipline. But wouldn't it be great if our message to the world was as simple as, I identify with Jesus. I have chosen to put on Christ. We read on in verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. You see, it was not his great wealth. It was not his vast army that brought fear to the surrounding nations. It was the faithful teaching of God's Word. You see, when we put the Word of God in its rightful place in our lives, it, it won't just change our lives, which it will, it will have an effect on everyone around you your family, your neighbors, your colleagues, your brothers and sisters in Christ at church on a Sunday morning. So, a question to reflect on this afternoon over. The roast dinner is this. What is your relationship 
with the Word of God. Now, I don't mean what is your relationship with the Bible when you first believe. I mean, what is your relationship with the Bible this morning, 15th of March, 2020? Do you have an active Bible devotional life where you're studying God's Word, where you're letting God's Word study you, where you're being changed and being transformed? You see, as you do, it won't just change you, but it'll change everyone else around you. The nations were fearful because there was the teaching of God's word. And so Jehoshaphat, he grew in wealth. He grew in power. His bank balance was swelling. His army was huge. He had over one million men of mighty valor in his garrison. Because God blessed the man who faithfully sought him. Uh, We're going to jump to chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 1. And as we do, I want you to notice the contrast between chapter 17, verse 1, and chapter 18, verse 1. It says, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. You see, in chapter 17, verse 1, we see Jehoshaphat strengthening himself against Israel. We see him making a stand, making a choice. But at the beginning here of chapter 18, we see King Jehoshaphat making an alliance with the king of Israel, King Ahab, the wicked king of Israel. Clearly, something had changed in Jehoshaphat's life. You see, compromise Compromise can enter into our lives in many different ways. It's not just through an unhealthy relationship, although it could be. It could be through lingering sin, unrepented sin. But some of the reasons why it happens is maybe we become as Christians too comfortable and too apathetic because of our success. In King Jehoshaphat, you had a faithful king whom God had blessed richly and mightily. And yet here at the start of this chapter, he's making an alliance with King Ahab. It might just be that we become too busy for God. Perhaps compromise comes in because we get too bogged down with the day-to-day, ordinary, mundane things of life. Maybe we lose focus. Maybe we begin to prioritize other things above God and suddenly compromise creeps in. Maybe we forget why we're doing what we're doing. We forget our first love. Our love for God grows cold. The zeal and the passion we saw in Jehoshaphat at the start of his reign has disappeared at this point. For us today, are we too overly consumed with coronavirus? I mean, if you think about this week, who spent more time on their phone looking at the news than in the Word of God? Okay, I think I would agree with you. That's been me as well, okay? Because it's become all-consuming. What's happening in this world, this virus, is a distraction for those who are pursuing God. Yes, we are to be wise, but we're not to lose the prize, Jesus Christ. Whatever the excuse or the reason for compromise, the root of compromise is this, is when our standard 
is no longer God's standard. The root of compromise is when our standard is no longer the word of God. Notice at the beginning of chapter 18, Jehoshaphat did not seek the Lord. He simply made a decision. He did not say, God, is this what you would have me do? Think of the Israelites in the wilderness with the the cloud, the pillar, and then the fire. When the cloud moved, they moved. When it stayed still, they stayed still. They followed God. When God told them to stay still, they followed God when he told them to move. And in doing so, Jehoshaphat allowed an unholy alliance between himself and King Ahab. Now, King Ahab, we can read of in, in 1 Kings, uh, he did more evil than any king before him. He actively worshipped and promoted the, the worship of foreign gods. And he actively looked to provoke the God of the Bible. So what happened? Verse 2. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him. And the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. So from an alliance to now becoming allies on a battlefield. But it makes sense because King Ahab looked at Jehoshaphat and he saw wealth and he saw a large army. He saw the potential of a strong ally. But for some reason, Jehoshaphat, this godly king who once strengthened himself against Israel, is now willing to team up with the godless king of a godless kingdom. Even goes so far as to say in verse 3, I am as you are, my people as your people. You see, as we allow compromise in, we dig a hole for ourselves, and that hole, as we're going to see, is very difficult to climb out of. The door, when it's open, is incredibly difficult to bolt. Some wisdom from Paul from Ephesians. He says, you were once darkness. You are now light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, we are to have no fellowship, no deep relationship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And for Jehoshaphat, that was through this unhealthy relationship. Going on in verse 4, it says, Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire of the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. Again, Jehoshaphat gets the order completely wrong. He made the decision for the alliance. He goes to Samaria to spend time with King Ahab, and then he prays. Who in this room, and you don't have to raise your hands, you can if you want to, has made a decision, gone with the decision, and they said, oh God, please can you bless this decision that I've made. Please will you confirm what I'm doing right now. Because that's what Jehoshaphat is doing. He's walking and then praying, instead of praying, then walking. He's getting the order completely on his head. And as we seek the Lord, we must make sure that he is the one that's leading 
and he is the one that's guiding. Ahab got this, he heard this word from Jehoshaphat, bring forth a prophet, and he decides to bring forth 400 prophets. This group of men were more than happy to tell the king exactly what he wanted to hear. They were boosting Ahab's ego and telling him, yes, you will go and you will have victory. Verse 6, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet here that we may inquire of him? It's wonderful to have discernment, is it not? To see through what is truth and what is a lie. And Jehoshaphat could see right through these false prophets. His desire, praise God, was still to hear a word from the Lord. His desire was to hear a message from a faithful prophet. So the king of Israel, verse 7, said to, Jeho- sorry, to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. Some very important questions to ask ourselves this morning. Firstly, are you willing to listen to the truth even if it hurts? Secondly, are you willing to let the word of God, which is truth, speak to you even if it isn't what you want to hear? As we read the word of God, maybe God is speaking by his spirit into your life and you just don't like what you're hearing. Well, King Ahab was in that position. He was not willing to listen to the last faithful prophet of Israel because he already knew what he wanted to hear. And there are so many people in this culture today who are just not willing to listen to the truth. There are so many people who block the truth. There are so many people who reject the truth. There are even so many people who hate the truth. And we who love the Bible, we know that truth is a person. We know that his name is Jesus. And in the same way today, in 2020, there are many who are not willing to hear about Jesus. Many may even talk of church and God and religion but as soon as Jesus is mentioned, it's too much. It's, it's too much for me to handle. See, because many people block Jesus, do they not? Many people reject Jesus. Many people hate Jesus. But no matter what truth is telling you, the fact is, it's still truth, right? Truth will remain truth. And the lie, a lie will never set you free. A lie can only ever promise you more bondage. It can only ever promise you more captivity. It's only Jesus who is truth. It's only him who can set you free. Because he whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. The truth of Jesus is life-changing. And the truth that everyone on this planet right now needs to hear is this. We are all born sinners and we are all in need of a saviour. 
We're all lost and we're all in need of being found. Because Jesus came to serve you. He came to die for you so that you might live. Is that not the news that this nation needs to hear? Not about how many coronavirus victims there are, how many deaths there are. Bless those people who are working alongside them. But this is the truth that the nation, that the world needs to hear. And Ahab rejected truth. We must be the ones who accept truth and speak truth. Reading on in verse 9, it says, The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chanah, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied, saying so, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. So we get this, this picture of Zedekiah, 399 other prophets, and this one prophet, Zedekiah, with, with an iron helmet with horns coming out the top, declaring the word of the Lord. Uh, and he, he gave a message of victory for Ahab, which was echoed by every other prophet that was there. I think for us, no matter how appealing, no matter how dramatic, no matter how compelling, no matter how entertaining a message is, if it's a lie, it's still a lie. All the royal garb and the show and the demonstration around it does not change the message itself. And Jesus himself warned us to be wary and aware of the false prophets that would come amongst us in the last days. Even those giving a good message, even the wolves dressed up in sheep's clothing. Now the messenger who'd gone to call Micaiah spoke to him. He spoke to him saying, now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. Now, Micaiah himself, this, this faithful prophet, must have had quite a reputation. We read elsewhere that he was in prison, uh, and before becoming before the kings, he was given a pep talk by this messenger. And he's told this, every other prophet is giving the king the same message. What we want you to do is give him the same message as everyone else. Just encourage him, and then everything will be okay for you. The message he was given was this, just conform to the message of this world. Just go with the flow. Do not break the mold. You see, they were trying to censor a faithful man of God and the message that he was to give from God. Does that not sound familiar of what the world is doing and the message of Jesus Christ? What you can and what you can't say. I work in a secondary school. This is happening each and every day. You have to think about what you're saying. You have to think about how you're acting. It's so familiar that actually from Micaiah's response, we can learn so much. He says this in verse 13. 
as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, I will speak. Whatever my God says, I will speak. You see, Micaiah faced a choice. He faced that narrow path that leads to salvation or the broad path that leads to destruction. He faced a choice of compromise, the truth, or speak truth. I think we will often in this life face that same choice. Will we stand up for the truth of God's word? Will we stand up for what God has said in his word? You see, in the face of adversity and persecution, Micaiah, this prophet, he chose God, he chose truth. He said, whatever God says, that I will speak. Meaning, no matter the cost, no matter the consequences, he was willing to go the extra mile. Verse 14, he said to the king, he came to the king, sorry, he said to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead? Or shall I refrain? And he said, Go and prosper, and they shall, be de- they shall be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? You see, the prophet's first reply was similar in nature to the 400 prophets. He said, go and prosper and they shall be delivered into your hand. But if you notice what the prophets have said, they say, go up for God will deliver into the king's hand. You can almost imagine that he's saying this with a bit of tongue in cheek with a bit of sarcasm. And then Ahab actually demands the truth from him in the name of the Lord. And so Micaiah speaks truth. The problem is that Ahab doesn't like what he hears. The message from God through Micaiah was, you will fail, your armies will be scattered, and you will surely die. Ahab hears the message He not only rejects the message, he rejects the messenger, and he rejects the one who sent the message. But Micaiah doesn't stop there. He continues speaking. In verse 18, he says, And Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right and his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab, king of Israel, to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Therefore, go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Interesting passage, but we're allowed this glimpse, this insight into what is going on spiritually behind the scenes. 
Uh, Micaiah himself received this heavenly vision. But what is important out of this is that God, who is truth, did not lie to Ahab. God did not lie to Ahab. God allowed, in his sovereignty, because he was in control, he allowed a lying spirit to deceive the false prophets into delivering a message to King Ahab that would lead to King Ahab dying. And also note from this small part that God actually gave Ahab the truth, didn't he? God gave Ahab the truth of what was to come through the prophet Micaiah. All of the facts were, were laid upon the table for Ahab. We read on in verse 23, the response of the prophets. Zedekiah, the son of Chinar, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. And the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's sons. And say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I return in peace. In the eyes of Ahab, what had Micaiah done wrong? He'd come against the false prophets and he'd spoken the truth. And what was his reward? It was a beating and an indefinite prison sentence. But at no point did God's last faithful prophet in Israel compromise the truth. But notice what happened when he spoke truth. He was beaten and he was persecuted. But interestingly, he had the last word. He said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Now, Ahab had all this information. He had the word from his 400 prophets, Zedekiah with his horns on his head, telling him, you will go up and God will give you the victory. But then he had this message from Micaiah that he will fail, that his armies will scatter and that he will perish, he will die. So what did Ahab decide to do? We read on in verse 28, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Just pause for a second. All of this information, and Ahab still decided, he still decided to go to Ramoth Gilead. In doing so, he rejected and he disregarded the word of God. And actually for King Ahab, this is to be expected, is it not? It's not surprising to see him go with the majority of the 400 prophets. But what surprises me is that King Jehoshaphat, this godly man, went into battle with him. A man who earlier on in his life was so on fire for God and his word, but now he's not only going into battle with a wicked and godless king, with the knowledge that they're all going to die and lose, not only that, but foolishly, he allows himself to be 
almost disguised as the only king on the battlefield. He dresses in his royal robes, whilst King Ahab dresses in battle armor. It's like a downward spiral that all started from that small compromise of forming an alliance with King Ahab. And this is what happens when we start to take counsel with the ungodly. In Jeremiah it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. One small compromise, and then this almost downward spiral, to the point where you could ask right now, is there any way back for King Jehoshaphat? He's going into battle, a battle which we know that they are not going to succeed in. He's the only one dressed as a king. Perhaps this is the end for Jehoshaphat. Now, have you, in your Christian life, ever felt this lost? Like, there is no other way out of a situation that you find yourself in. It could be that you made a decision years and years and years ago that you're still living with the effects of. It could be something you compromised in last week, this morning. But have you ever been in a place where you feel so lost and you feel like there's no way back for you? Maybe you hear that, that voice in your head that says, you're not worthy. Maybe you hear that voice that says in your head, you're here at church, but you're not like everyone else. Maybe you're just going through the motions of Christian life, even this morning. Because you've opened the door to compromise through an unhealthy relationship, through sin, and you see no way out. Now the king of Syria, verse 30, had commanded the captains of the chariots who were with him, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only, only with the king of Israel. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is the king of Israel. Therefore they surrounded him to attack. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them from him. For so it was when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. You see, Jehoshaphat decided his choice, no one else's, he decided to wear his royal robes. He went into battle. And notice his choices, his decisions, drew the enemy to him. Nothing but what he was wearing drew them to him. And he was wearing what he was wearing because he decided to do so. But Jehoshaphat, in this moment of desperation, this moment where everything seemed lost, he simply cried out. He cried out. We don't know what he cried out, but he cried out. But God, God heard him in his moment of isolation, his moment of desperation. And God heard him and God answered him. 
And God answered him and God diverted the enemy that was surrounding him. And God delivered Jehoshaphat from this impossible situation. And the point I want to make to you is this. No matter how far you think you are from God this morning, no matter how cold your love for him has gone, no matter how much you have compromised, no matter how great your opposition, it may even feel like this morning you are surrounded on every side. If, if you choose this morning to cry out to God, He will hear you. He will hear you. And not only will He hear you, He will deliver you. He will divert the enemy from you. Because as you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. You see, Jesus Christ came into this world to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ came into this world to divert and defeat our enemy. His death upon the cross delivered us from darkness into his marvelous light. And maybe this morning, it's the morning for you to cry out to God. Maybe it's the moment that you cry out to God for the first time. Maybe you've been coming to this church for for weeks and months, maybe even years, but you've never recognized that the enemy's around you and you feel like there's no way out. Maybe this morning is the first time you cry out to the living God, the one who sent his son to die for you upon a cross at Calvary. Maybe you haven't cried out to God for a long time. Maybe your love has grown cold. Maybe you're looking at the world around you and all you feel is fear and distress. Maybe this morning that enemy itself is just encircling you round and round, this obsession with with viruses and news and, and disease and health. Cry out to God this morning. We'll read on in verse 33 what happened it says, a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. The battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Syrians until evening. And about the time of sunset, he died. Remember, the message to King Ahab was this, you will fail, your armies will flee, and you yourself will perish. And I can safely say that all of God's promises are yes and amen. Amen? What he says will come to pass. And maybe perhaps this morning that's a word for you. You're waiting upon a promise that God has spoken into your life. Can I just tell you, wait patiently, persevere, endure. We have a wonderful baby that was promised to us and yet we had to wait nearly two years. But in those two years, God was doing a work in our lives. So don't forsake God, because he will never forsake you. So what happened then to King Jehoshaphat? Verse 1 of chapter 19. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returns safely to his house in Jerusalem. 
So he returned safely from the battlefield. And the word here is actually peace. He returned in peace. And yet we know that this would not have been the peace of God. He would have been fleeing for his life. It was just enough for him to come back alive. You see, it's impossible to experience the peace of God when you're not in the will of God. It was never God's will for Jehoshaphat to be on that battlefield. It was never God's will for him to be surrounded by the enemy. But King Jehoshaphat returned to Jerusalem with his life only by the grace of God. And it's a wonderful demonstration of God's long-suffering and mercy. But he doesn't arrive home to a welcoming committee or a fanfare. We see in verse 2, Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. If you were here last week, you'll remember that Hanani was the prophet who rebuked King Asa. And King Asa's response was not a good response. The message was rejected and Hanani was sent to prison. So Jehu, the son of Hanani, comes along and he has this word from God. And I imagine there's a moment where he thinks, well, the last king sent my dad to prison. Should I or should I not go and speak to this king? But he's faithful. He goes to King Jehoshaphat and he says something very important and very necessary. First, he said this, you've had fellowship with those who hate God. And actually, you have too much love, Jehoshaphat. You are loving those who hate God. We read in Psalm 97, verse 10 this, you who love the Lord hate evil. Jehoshaphat should have had nothing to do with Ahab. We see in James chapter 4, verse 4, that friendship with the world is enmity with God. So the first part of this message is a rebuke. But the second part of this message is an encouragement. He says to him, nevertheless, you have done good in your life. It is not all a waste. And I imagine this is a wonderful reminder to King Jehoshaphat, who's coming back from the battlefield, almost with his tail between his legs, recognizing perhaps, I never trusted in God. I never leaned on God when I went with King Ahab. He needed encouragement. So the prophet says to him, you've removed the places of idol worship and you've set your heart to seek God. So we're going to end this morning with Jehoshaphat back in Israel, sorry, back in Judah, in Jerusalem, building and reforming, going back to the foundations. Verse 4, Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Bathsheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. You see, Jehoshaphat, after his moment of compromise, looked to take very practical steps to guarding himself, 
and to preventing himself from further issues. How did he do this? Well, firstly, he remained in Jerusalem. There were no more trips to Israel. There was no more relationship with anyone from that region. And Jehoshaphat as well looked again to lead by example. And in doing so, he brought a nation back to God. So in summary, covered a lot. Firstly, is this. In our lives, when something is torn down and ripped down, there must be a building up. When there is a putting off, there must be a putting on. And I want to encourage you, identify with Jesus this week. Each morning, put on Jesus. Say, Lord God, I want to be your representative. I want to be your ambassador in my work, in my home, with my family, whomever it may be your neighbours who are in self-isolation, whatever it is, be Jesus. Second point is this. Compromise creeps in when we no longer make God's standards our standards. So maybe for some of us in these trying times, it's time to get back to the Word of God to make God's word the standard for your daily living. Thirdly, compromise results in us feeling stranded, alone, rejected, and really it leaves us in a place where we simply need to cry out to God. I want to encourage you again this morning, if you are in that position, that place, where you feel surrounded, you see that there's no way out, like King Jehoshaphat surrounded by those chariots, I want to encourage you to cry out to God this morning. Don't leave it until you leave. Come with me to the front and pray or one of the the home group leaders here and say, I just need help. It's really hard to ask for help, but when you do, it's a wonderful thing. Don't let pride stop you from crying out to God. You see, the dangers of compromise are very real. But our God is faithful to hear. Our God is faithful to divert the enemy. Our God is faithful to defeat the enemy. Our God is faithful to deliver us from the enemy. So as we go forwards, let's strive towards guarding ourselves against complacency. Let's be the ones who are setting the example as we seek our Lord and our God. Amen. Why don't you stand with me and then we'll pray to close. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we are not serving a God of the dead or a God who is dead. We are serving a God of the living who is living. And thank you, God, that you sent your Son as a Savior into this world. Thank you, God, that you've redeemed us to freedom in Christ. Lord, with all that's going on, we pray that this week, even this afternoon, we will be those who choose to identify with Christ. Against all the opposition, against all the odds, let's be those who put on Jesus. 
Father, I just pray by your spirit, any in this room who simply need to cry out, Lord, let them have space to cry out. Because God, we know that when they do, you will hear, you will divert, you will deliver. God, be with us this week as we go forward. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Be dismissed.